Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining the Boca Podcast today. And I'm excited to introduce you to Jess from Jess Lance Photography. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jess. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. And I, and I just can't thank you enough for making time to share with the Boca Podcast listeners today. You and I have had the opportunity to, to meet briefly in person before. But along with our listeners today, I'm going to get to know you a little bit better, and I'm excited to dive into some personal conversation even, um, hear about your day-to-day life a bit. But before we get there, um, I, I like to start our podcast episodes out with what I'm now calling the aha moment. Uh, and I'd love for you to share with our listeners maybe an aha moment that you had in your business, whether it was a kind of a tough lesson, maybe a situation that wasn't really comfortable at the time, or something that you just happened to learn along the way, but that it made a big difference in your business, kind of a light bulb coming on, if you will. Can you share that with our listeners? Sure. So for me, it was a, a scary move to make because it was right after I went full-time with my photography. But I eliminated anything that I didn't want to focus on from my portfolio. And I ended up just leaving the engagements and weddings. And on my blog, it was just the recent couples. And I felt as if I was almost tossing away all that work I had done in the past. Sure. But it got to that point where weddings and working with couples as they're planning their weddings was what was exciting for me. And as I was going through my website, it just didn't feel like it represented me very well. I think I got to that point where I was looking what everyone else was doing and I thought that's what I had to be doing. And as soon as I did that and I forced myself to post on social media every single day and it was older items from past weddings and engagements and I flushed out all the family sessions and the baby sessions, but I realized my ideal clients started coming through and it was the people that loved those raw moments that I was capturing not just the pretty portraits from a wedding day. And I had heard about that whole attract, repel mindset, but I was so scared to make that move. And once I finally did, it was totally worth it. And you you saw success from that too, which is pretty exciting. Now, when you say that you were afraid to make that move, what was the biggest fear? I was worried that I was going to lose, I don't know, maybe like more than half of my clients. Interesting. I was working with families and they would call me for holiday sessions or when someone was pregnant. But even though I've eliminated all that from my portfolio for about two years now, I'll still get requests in that say, I didn't see this on your portfolio, but do you still offer X, Y, and Z? And if I have time for it, and if it seems like it's something exciting, then I will do it. And I actually do military homecomings a lot and I don't post a lot of it on my website but it's just a a personal thing I really like doing. Sure. And I have all my blogs with the different categories still on there privately, so I can send a link to a client if they want to view previous work. You just can't directly access it from my website. 
Sure, that makes sense. Well, I, I love this example. This is something that we talk about a good bit on the Boca podcast, which is the importance of having a really clear brand position. And you've done that just by simply eliminating, as you described, getting rid of the images from your portfolio that re- weren't really applicable to who you were and what you wanted to offer to the market as a photographer. Mm-hmm. And once you did that, it helped kind of catapult your business forward. Specializing can make all the difference in the world in helping us, helping set us apart. It makes the marketing process easier. And ultimately, I, I'd like to think that it even makes just our lives as business owners even easier because now we're not trying to do any and everything, but we know very, very specifically what we're, what we're offering to the market. We know what we're reaching for, what we're working toward. And that helps us filter out all the unnecessary kind of busy work. We can focus on just the things that, that we're good at, that we're specializing in. And then that ultimately kind of frees us up to have more, more time to dedicate toward building that, that aspect of the business, but then also just to go have some fun, spend time with the people that are important to us and, oh, and yeah. doing those things that we love doing besides photography. So this is a really great, I, I love that we're starting off with this and it's a really great reminder for all of us and a great example for our listeners. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, um, mm-hmm. I'd love to kind of take a step back and get to know you a little bit more. Um, talk to us a little bit about your day-to-day life, your husband, your dogs, what you guys like to do with your free time. I'd love to hear more about that. So my husband and I just celebrated our eighth anniversary back in September. Congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. We are a little non-conventional and it's ironic that I'm a wedding photographer because we got married when we were 19. He was leaving for boot camp for the military and we had just this quick thrown together wedding. It was in a community center, but since we live in New England, the community center is a renovated barn. Oh, wow. It, it was actually really exciting, but back in 2009, people weren't really getting married in barns. So I joke with my couples that we started that trend. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's really great. But you were 19 years old. This is, mm-hmm. I, I had to be, I, I don't know, were you, it was a little bit disconcerting or were you just simply excited about the possibilities? We were excited. And I, if you ask any of my friends and family, I'm a very um, organized planner like I have my my five-year plan my 10-year plan of what I'm gonna do wow and that was probably the most spontaneous thing I've ever done and probably ever will do (laughs) but it was definitely worth it and it's it's that cheesy stereotypical like when you know you know and we felt that and definitely him leaving for boot camp um you know just kind of fast-tracked it a little bit but we're happy with how it worked out but I was in college at the time surrounded by photographers and it slipped my mind to even ask one of them to come photograph it. So we didn't even have a photographer at my own wedding. Oh, wow. No way. So did anybody take any snapshots or video or anything? We have some pictures from point and shoot cameras, but in 2009, the you know iPhones and things weren't as... They were, I don't even know if they were out at that point with the cameras they have. So right. they're, they're not like the best photos, but we do have something to remember the day by. Absolutely. And, um, we redid some photos for our fifth anniversary. And then earlier this year, Justin and Mary do their walk through a wedding workshop. Yeah, and yeah. They're in New Haven, so they needed a couple to model. So we went out there and we had, you know, what we call our fake wedding. So No way. How cool. <laughs> and, and for those of you listening, she's referring to Justin and Mary Morantz. We'll make sure to link to their website um, in the show notes as well, so you can see some of their work and and the uh, the various educational opportunities that they offer as well. I've known Justin and Mary for years and years. In fact, I had the opportunity 
to do a little bit of mentoring for them when they were first getting started. And this oh, is, wow. I mean, this is years and years ago, but um, they've, they've far surpassed what I was ever, uh, what, what I ever accomplished as a photographer and uh, so kudos to them. And yeah, we'll make sure to link to them in the show notes, but um, that's a really great opportunity. And I can imagine that oh, yeah. the photos were just stunning. Oh yeah. They were beautiful. And when we had told our family about it, they, I don't think understood exactly what it was. And when we showed them the photos, they were confused and they thought we actually went and had a wedding. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, that's the whole point of the workshop to, to look like it. And ironically, where the fake ceremony was, was where my husband's parents were married. So no way. it was all just, it felt like it was meant to be yeah. that it all worked out. That's really cool. Now, I'm, I'm really curious because I, I love relationships, the dynamic of relationships. And I feel like I've been learning so much over the last few years about relationships. You guys started out really, really young uh, in marriage and, and this relationship. And I'm curious, has it been, what's been the biggest challenge? I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're still at a really young stage in life and you're probably changing and learning a lot yourselves. And how do you make that work as you're both growing and changing? I think the, the best part for us is basically when we, he was, um, well, we spent our first eight or nine months apart. He was wow. in Chicago and Virginia and I was in Boston. And so when we finally moved in together, it was really the first time either of us had lived on our own outside of college. And so a lot of those experiences you learned separately, we learned together, but it made us closer and it wasn't always easy. It was really tough and you have to, you know, kind of figure things out together. For sure. And um, I, I think our biggest struggle is he travels all the time. So there's times when if you add it all together, there's probably a year or two that we were never together and just trying to communicate and talking over Skype and through emails and Facebook messenger isn't always the best way to get through things, Sure, but we've, we've somehow managed to work it out. And now that I have my own business, when it's off season, I can travel with him. So usually in the winter, I end up going to Hawaii with him for about a week. And no way. Those, That's cool. Those little perks are cool. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I've found too, and again, this is just over the last few years, um, as a single guy and, and kind of, working my way through the world of relationships and trying to figure out what all that looks like. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's one of the things that I've realized is the significance of um, what, what uh, actually an author named Esther Perel talks about is, is tension, but po tension in a positive way. And this comes from a certain amount of independence. So while mm -hmm. there's, while a long distance relationship like that, a relationship with somebody who is, is traveling a lot um, can mm -hmm. be tough. No question. It also kind of creates a sense of excitement when you do get to be together because it's not the norm, right? There's this oh, yeah. the, kind of the, the relationship is broken up by times apart and then you get this exciting time together and then it's broken up again by the time apart. And that mm -hmm. can be a struggle for sure. But then there's also an element of excitement to getting to see each other again. So that's interesting mm -hmm. to hear you describe that. And of course, I wish you guys all the best moving forward. Eight years is a big deal. And, yes. and I have a lot of respect for the way that you've made it work and, and kind of been flexible and going with the flow. So that's really, really cool. And you also have a couple of dogs that you said you rescued. Tell us about those. So Boston is a Beeble, which is a Beagle Bulldog mix. And every time we bring him anywhere, people love him. They want to pet him and snuggle him. And <laughs> I can imagine. I don't think I've heard <laughs> of that breed before, that combination before. They're they're just adorable, and when he was a puppy, he had this squished little face and these big floppy ears. Yeah, and um, but he he has the the lazy qualities of both breeds, so 
he enjoys sunbathing on our deck and he snores all day long. (laughs) (laughs) When we rescued Lola, they told us that she was the same breed and we loved how great Boston was. But then Lola kept growing and growing and growing. And we realized that she is not a beagle or a bulldog. And we think she may have shepherd because her ears pointed up one day and then they never went back down. Oh, wow. And um, she's super energetic. She runs laps around Boston and she follows me all over the house. (laughs) But, But they're great. And when he's away, they're awesome to have because they keep me company the whole time absolutely i you know i, I had a dog uh for for a little while two or three years back and i have two kids and it was it was an amazing experience to have that kind of companionship for all of us certainly but I, there's a particular picture i think of um of sammy our dog he was a com- he was a combo of um i think it was pitbull and lab and, mm-hmm. and just sweet as could be, loving as could be, just a really, really great dog. And there's this picture of my daughter at the time. She was probably, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old. And she's all cuddled up to him. And, Aww. you know, that kind of, I know exactly. And that's exactly the sound that I make, I think, in my head every time I see <laughs> that picture. But um, but that's the kind of companionship that, that dogs can represent. And um, I'm looking forward to the next time that we have the opportunity to have a dog. I, I just love that. I, I um, had a dog growing up as well, and um, I, I think back. His name was Chipper, and he was also a mutt. Uh, but but dogs have been uh, actually I've had multiple dogs throughout the years, and and they've been such a big part of my life. So I I totally understand that that notion of companionship, and it's amazing how even how soothing it can be just to like be able to reach over and pet the dog a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. especially if yeah. if you're uh, on your own as you're describing. So that's that's really lovely. Now, when when your husband is with you and you guys have a little bit of free time, what kind of stuff do you like to do together? We we ride bikes. He's a lot faster than me. We have, <laughs> <laughs> we have trails. Um, actually, we can bike to them straight from our house. And they're rocky. There's lots of hills. And I do better going up the hills. But then he'll fly down them. And I, we keep saying we need to put a GoPro but pointed at my face because I'll go down. <laughs> and the whole time I'm just like scrunching my face and like screaming, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. Oh, my word. <laughs> but, Are these are mountain bikes? Yeah. Okay. And um, But we've, you know, over time I, I have gotten better. But um, but yeah, we, we enjoy doing that. And then we do like to travel. Um, we were just in Portsmouth um, last weekend. And when we lived in Florida, we would go down to the Keys. And Lovely. if I have any weddings far away, I'll bring him with me. And then we'll spend extra time exploring. So we were out on the Pacific Northwest and we did some hiking out there. Oh, and, that sounds um, great. And his sister actually lives in Spain. They're also military. And so I'd gone out there and done traveling through Europe. So even though he travels for work, we do like to travel on our own too. That's really awesome. And and how do you, you know, as business owners, it seems like it's really easy to kind of get caught up in busy work, the day to day. At times, it seems like there's just so much to keep up with. But are there certain things that you do to kind of create that time? Is there a tool, a technique? You said you're you're very organized. You plan. Is is that what plays into that? How do you create that free time for yourself? So I like to use timers and alarms and. My friends and family will make fun of me because sometimes I'll forget (laughs) (laughs) and we'll be somewhere and my alarm will be going off and they're like, what's that one set for? (laughs) So like today, for instance, I knew that we were going to be chatting around 10 o'clock. So I had an alarm go off at 930 so that anything I was working on, I would start to wrap up at that point. Yeah. And I used to be a preschool teacher 
And so we incorporated timers and things to give all the kids signals on when to start wrapping up their activities so that we could start something else. And I realized I could incorporate that with myself and it keeps me more focused. So I'll set a timer for 30 minutes. I'll try to power through whatever task, if it's culling or email or something like that. And I stay more focused on it instead of getting distracted by this and that. And then I'll set a five minute timer for a break and I'll go on Facebook, you know, go outside with the dogs, grab a snack. And then once it goes off, head back and get back to work. And for certain things, like if I'm going to call a wedding, I know it's probably going to take me an hour. So I'll set it for 60 minutes and then I'll take like a 15 minute break. But I work good under pressure and that fake timer, even though I know I don't have to be done when it goes off, it it keeps that, you know, adrenaline rush going. So I think that helps. Absolutely. Well, this is really interesting. So I, is, is there is it a particular methodology that you read about that you're following or is this something you just kind of came up with yourself? Because it sounds like, um, I'm trying to remember the name, is it called the, the Pomodoro method? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's the, um, I think that's the one you're talking about. I read it in a book and I can't think of it right now, but I'm also reading um, 168 hours yes. and they kind of talk about blocking out your days and tracking. I did it for every 10 minutes to see how long each task usually takes me. And then from there, I kind of did a combination of a bunch of those methods, I feel like. That's well, this is really great, though. Again, the proactivity and creating a little bit of structure for yourself, because you know, it helps drive you through your day. But the cool thing about that, then is you can still build in free time or, you know, even Mm -hmm. just little breaks as a result of that proactive effort. So, and this is something that we talked about over and over and over again, but I, I don't think we can talk about it enough, which is mm-hmm. the the idea of structure and freedom or structure and artistry. They're not mutually exclusive. And when we make even just a little bit of effort to, to create some structure in our day and in our week and, and even in our year, um, it, it really can then encourage and enable creativity and, and freedom and flexibility and time to practice our art. And this is a really great example of that. So I, I, this is this is a great tip and suggestion for our listeners. And we'll make sure to, to uh, get the name right and link to the, the methodology that I was referring to earlier, because it sounds very similar um, to what yes. you're doing. Are you using a particular app for that or just the timer on your phone? I like the multi-timer app because it saves, um, I have a, a 10 minute, a half hour, a five minute timer. If I have clothes in the washing machine, then I have another timer for that. So that way, if I was just using the iPhone timer, I could only do one at a time. And that multi-timer helps for the million tasks I feel like I have going oh, on at a time. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so and are you on an iPhone? Yes. Okay, and it's just called multi-timer? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. We'll make sure to link that link to that app in the show notes as well so that our listeners can check it out. But wow, this is great. That's, I, I love how we've started this out. Now, let's let's take a step back to um, to business. And I'm just curious okay. to, to start out with how long you've been in business at this point. So in college, um, I graduated in 2010. And um, my part of my senior class was to create our business. So the name Just Lance Photo came from that point. And though Odanic is my legal name now since I've been married, but um, Lance was my maiden name. And we would joke that freelance photography, just Lance photography. So just Lance kind of stuck and it's easier to spell and say than Odanic. So back in 2010, the, the business started, but I didn't officially 
register my business and start really working with clients until the end of 2013. Okay. Now you went to, to school in Boston at the New England Institute of Art. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So did you major in photography or what was your focus there? Yep. I majored in digital photography. We didn't have a darkroom. Um, it was all the digital media there, but I did the darkroom back in high school. Okay. So um, we had a fine art program at our high school. And so I was able to take the traditional class, the digital class, and then the combination traditional digital class. And that's when my fine art head, um, the head of the department came up to me and said, why are you taking so many photography classes? Are you interested in doing this for college? And when I told her, I think I am, then that's when she started to help me build my portfolio. And I actually took those classes all the second time in my senior year, but I got to create my own projects that were going to go towards my college portfolio. Wow, how cool. And then when you were in college, I mean, the, the, the focus was fine art and photography. Were you mm -hmm. able to take any business classes or did you kind of learn that on your own once you got out of college and started the business? We touched upon social media, but social media has changed so often since then. For sure. And um, for a short time, I worked at a car dealership and I worked on their social media. And so while I was learning all the tips and tricks for Subaru, I also got to implement it in my own business. Interesting. That was um, definitely really helpful. And then I'm trying to think, we did some marketing about business cards and website design while I was in college, but I think I learned the most from my local BNI chapter, which is Business Network International. Okay. And I joined that right when I went full-time and my friend who also runs his own screen printing shop had been in it and he told me to check it out and I was intimidated. It's about 60 members. I felt that the majority of them were men and they were older than me. They were lawyers and financial advisors yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking, what is a you know 24 year old photographer going to be doing in this group? But it was great to have all of their business mindset. And I'm in, you know, like the rising tide with the Tuesdays together. I co-lead our Norwich group. And that's a lot of young, creative females. And we have a lot of similarities. But with that B&I group, I think because it's so diverse, I can learn so much more from that because they have all this experience in just business alone. And that was really helpful for me. That makes sense. Now, I, I, when I think of BNI, um, I, I, maybe I'm just kind of jaded by some of the networking groups that I've been to or meetings that I've, that I've been to in the past. But um, mm -hmm. so maybe you can speak specifically to, to BNI. But when you talk about learning there, um, mm -hmm. it, did these meetings include a speaker that was doing presentations? Were you learning through conversation? Because it seems like a lot of these business networking meetings, like you said, they're, they're not really geared toward photographers. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of real estate agents, for example, or, or yep. lawyers or, or otherwise that, you know, have an opportunity to exchange business cards and then hopefully they can do some business together. The idea mm -hmm. of having a photographer there is, is interesting to me. I'm, I'm curious to hear what that experience looked like and how you were able to learn so much from it. So each week we meet every single week and that's why it's, definitely a commitment to join it. We meet at seven in the morning on Thursday morning, wow. so bright and early. And there's a little educational moment each meeting and it covers pretty much any aspect. And you can ask specifically about, say it's 
just networking in general at an event, they'll go over how to do that or social media. And it's a quick five minute tidbit. And then each member has a chance to do a full presentation for about seven minutes. And there's two people a week. So during those seven minutes, which happens pretty much every six months because we have so many members, sure, I would get that seven minute to fully describe my business. But I think our best resource is we do one-to-ones. So you can meet up with another member and you chat one-on-one with each other and you learn more about each other. And that's where I find I'm making great connections because I started to realize how many of those people that are involved in chamber and rotary and just in the town in general have connections to local florists, local venues, other photographers, cake designers, and they gave me that introduction and they like for example them one of them knows a jewelry designer and they said oh this is so and so they meet with couples getting engagement rings and so they're talking about how they're going to do the proposal and they might need a photographer for the proposal and it was those little sidebars that i wasn't expecting to make connections from yeah i'm even surprised hearing you describe that because most of the again most of what i've seen it's felt very kind of cold and impersonal and and you know, there's, there's just this, like the one, you know, step one, two, three, this is how we go about our meeting. And then, and then everybody leaves and it didn't, it didn't seem mm-hmm. very personal, but what you're describing sounds like a much more personal, um, and certainly beneficial type of interaction mm-hmm. with, with the people in the group. Yeah. And you, it, you do have to be a little bit proactive too. And so maybe um, that was it, my problem. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I was expecting <laughs> too much without doing the work. <laughs> And I'm a very outgoing person. I, I love to, to make small talk. And in college, I was a ambassador. So I would do, the, you know, the orientation and the doing the college tours for incoming freshmen. So I like talking in front of people and talking to new people. And then I ended up helping out on the BNI leadership team. And I wow. handle their PR, social media, pictures and things. And it kind of bridged the gap for me. And made it less awkward for me to say, hey, um, maybe we can go grab lunch because I need to talk about your upcoming presentation that I'm going to, you know, post on the Facebook page. And Oh, that's um, cool. And the other thing that's unique to our BNI group is we have this thing called a business compass team. And so I can pick about eight members from our group and they'll come to my studio and I can present them with three issues that I wanted to kind of talk about and when I first joined, I did one about my pricing and how I'm going full time. I want to make sure I have a sustainable business. So I had the accountant and the lawyer and the financial advisor wow. and an advertiser from the local radio station. And they gave me their input about it. And I think the thing that stuck out the most was the financial advisor said to me, how many people are you booking when they come in the door? And at that time, my prices were kind of low. And I told him, oh, they're great. You know, five people come in and five people book. And he said, that's not great. You need to reassess your pricing. And he goes, readjust it. And then say five people come in and only three book, that's okay. And he goes, and if five people come in and nobody books, then you can just go back down on your pricing. You don't have to stay committed to that forever. And to hear someone, not a creative person, just break it down very simply like that. Yes it made sense. And so then I tried it and I actually doubled what I was charging Wow! and nobody batted an eye. It, it worked out. I think I booked four out of five. We reassessed it again. And then 
I started realizing, oh, like I was so scared for so long because I thought I had this whole personal thing going on of people aren't going to like it or people going to be upset or people going to be this. And for him to just break it down and say, it's just numbers. And if it doesn't work, you just reassess it. Make an adjustment. And, yeah. Yeah. So having that whole aspect has been really beneficial for me. Well, kudos to you, first of all, just for your proactivity and your energy is pretty obvious. And I'm, I, I even have your the, the about section of your uh, website pulled up the picture of you here, even the energy that comes through that picture, that profile picture <laughs> of you is, is awesome. So I can imagine that this pays great dividends and and your networking efforts, the fact that you are proactive and reaching out and creating these relationships. Uh, and, and so I, man, after hearing this example, I would say photographers listening in, go out there and go to networking <laughs> meetings and not just the ones for, for wedding vendors, uh, yeah. because this is, this is really a wonderful example of the benefits of networking. Now, just one last question. And then I want to kind of get back to your business specifically, but, and you talked about having these, uh, the lawyer and the accountants and so forth to your, to your studio. How do you mm -hmm. kind of repay them in, in some way with, with, I mean, do you offer them portrait sessions? Do you somehow manage to help them with their businesses in, in some way in order to kind of exchange that, that value? Yes. So, um, well, when they come to the meeting itself, I feed everybody pizza and, wow, and nice. some sort of sweets. <laughs> that's a good so start. That's, that's a good way to get them in the door. And then, um, I've done little things where we all help each other out when we're in a bind. And so the accountant, for example, they were running a brand new ad and his daughter told him, I really don't like your headshot. You'd really need a new headshot, dad, before you post this in the newspaper. Huh. And so he called me and I had time in my schedule and I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'll stop in. I'll take a new shot for you. Not a problem. Um, and the lawyer, I've, I've done some work for him and he's also helped me out because he's doing a testimonial page on his website and so he wants me to take some you know just modern headshots just like out in the environment sure. of some of his previous clients yeah. but they're also clients that are on the age that they're getting married and things like that so we all kind of help each other out but but yeah definitely whenever I can help them with something I'm more than happy to and at this point I always joke with them and I'm like I feel like you guys have so much more to offer and help me but one day it'll it'll come back around for everybody <laughs> That's that's a really well balanced way to look at it, and and I can totally empathize with that feeling too. I always feel like like um, I don't know when somebody gives me even a little bit of their time, even even this podcast conversation for that matter. I just feel like there's so much value being added, and and you naturally want to figure out some way to be able to give back. But I, I love that mentality of of just continuing to to pay it forward, if you will, and knowing mm -hmm. that it'll come back around in some some way. The focus is on the relationship. And, you know, this is something that I just talked uh, with my good friend Thomas about uh, on the Boca podcast, uh, mm -hmm. about this idea of focusing on the relationship and, and so much less on ourselves. In fact, this has kind of been a theme as of late in these conversations in the Boca podcast, the focus on um, the client and the relationship there and not so much on ourselves. And, you know, the art is important. The artistic side of things is important, but at the end of the day, focusing on the relationship, uh, really truly pays dividends, not just simply in business. I mean, that, that's a wonderful benefit, but then it, it just makes us feel better. I mean, we're, we're geared to connect with people in, in one way or another. And, um, so why not do that as part of our effort at building our business? I think it's absolutely wonderful. So thank you for sharing this, this is a really, really great example. I do want to just ask you very quickly, how did you land specifically on engagement and wedding photography after, going to school for photography and, and having a little bit of time to consider what to, what to get into. Well, if I 
looked at myself in college, I never would have thought I would be where I am now, running my own business and focusing on weddings because I thought I was on the path for working in galleries or being an art teacher and doing my art on the side. But when we were living in Florida, um, I don't know if I touched on that. Wait, my husband got stationed in Miami, Florida, and it was a commercial uh, base down there. Okay. So I switched gears a little bit. I did some assisting with a food photographer and he had shoots that he did for Burger King and it sounded really awesome, but I really hated it. I felt, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't even feel like I'm a photographer. There's so much other stuff going on and there's so many other people involved. So my friend down there, her son had a birthday party. I knew she was going to be really busy. So I just brought my camera to take some photos for her. And then she liked them, asked if I could take a family photo for their Christmas card. And then more military friends of ours asked if I could take some pictures here and there. So that's kind of how I started to get into the portraiture part of it. Okay. So when I moved back to Connecticut in 2013, I was kind of shooting anything people needed. But the few weddings I did, at first I was scared. I didn't really want to do weddings. It's such an important event. And what if I screwed it up? But every time I was at a wedding, I had so much fun. And I love the chaos of the day. And then once I started doing engagement sessions or the proposal and planning out this like amazing day with these people, I decided this is what I really like doing. I like couples that have something unique going on. They're getting married, you know, under this beautiful tree because that's how he proposed and they're getting married at a barn. I had one at an aquarium and just the unique ideas people have and these couples that are excited for the wedding, but they're excited to be married. And it brings me back to that feeling of yep. being 19 and deciding we're just going to get married and being so excited to, you know, have that and be together. For so sure. it just brings back all that. I feel like, Oh, and it feels so good. I, I actually had the opportunity this past weekend to photograph a wedding in the Adirondacks with my friend mm -hmm. Thomas that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I was in tears yet again. I haven't, I, I photographed <laughs> weddings for, for about 10 years, 11 years or so, as many as 30 or 40 a year. And so I was really busy shooting weddings and, and I got emotional back then. I'm, I'm pretty much a sap myself, but, <laughs> but I was right back there again this weekend photographing this wedding and people that I don't know, this was, this was Thomas's client. I was there as a mm -hmm. second shooter, but I, I know what you mean. It feels good to be in that environment where you're reminded of the beauty of these connections, um, mm -hmm. not just between the couple, hopefully, but also between family members, you know, the, the oh, mother yeah. of the bride or the father of the bride, or maybe the father of the bride um, is not there, as was the case uh, this weekend. He had passed away. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, so to hear, you know, these stories as they're giving toasts and, and to see the responses and, and kind of be there with all the crowd and just in the in the moment with them while simultaneously still trying to, to press the shutter button at the right time and, and grab that image. Um, it's a it's a really beautiful thing. You mentioned how you enjoy the chaos, which is interesting to me because you're a bit more of a type A personality, as you described it. How, what mm -hmm. do you like about the chaos on a wedding day? I like the chaos, I think, because I, I've i had brides that say I'm like the calming person on their day that they look to me and just say, all right, what's the plan? What are we doing next? Because I send out a questionnaire and I try to meet with my couples even at their venue about a month before their wedding and I break down the whole day for them. And even if they don't have a wedding planner or the DJ hasn't set a timeline, I have my rough estimate of how the day usually unfolds. And I'll tell them, you know, 
if you know that your bridal party is going to be, you know, all over the place and they're not going to be listening, I don't mind being that person that's like, all right, guys, in five minutes, we're going to put on our dresses and this is what we're going to do. <laughs> yep. And it brings you back to when I was, you know, teaching preschool and we have, <laughs> you know, I like the analogy <laughs> there, the comparison. <laughs> we'd, we'd have our lesson plan for the day and some days we're on point and some days we're not. Right. And just being that person that going, okay, we have this much time. We're going to try to get towards that. This is our goal. And I, I think that's the part I like about it. And I just like everything as it unfolds. And, you know, when you go to enough weddings, you can sense things before they're about to happen. And that's the part that I like anticipating. And that's what comes through in my images is, you know, the the ring bearer that you can tell is about to start bursting into tears yep. as he walks down the aisle yeah. or grandma's out there dancing with all the groomsmen and you can see all of it as it's about to happen. And that's what I'm looking for on a wedding day. I, I love that. It really kind of focuses or, or causes us to focus on the present moment, to truly be present mm-hmm. and in tune with what's going on. And like you're saying, looking for those kind of nuanced expressions and, and then predicting what's about to happen next. It is really exciting. and so much fun. Even as I'm talking about it now, it kind of gets me excited to think about. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. That was certainly one of the things that I that I enjoyed and, and still enjoy for that matter of uh, about shooting weddings. I think it's really wonderful. It, it seems as though you've you've learned a good bit pretty quickly. I mean, you've only been in business for about four years now. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so one of the things that um, you had talked about with, with Haley, our head of digital mm-hmm. marketing in preparation for this conversation, um, was the possibility of sharing with our listeners some of the things that you've learned in the process of, of having a, a photography business now for, for four years. And I think you mentioned that um, it, you mentioned that, that you have four different ideas or lessons that, that you've learned that you might share with us. So I'd love to dive into those and kind of explore each of them. Okay. Um, so a big thing for me is trusting your gut. It goes back to when I said I eliminated all those other categories from my portfolio because I just felt it wasn't me. And as soon as I went with what felt like me, everything started falling into place. But my biggest thing was trusting your gut when it comes to your pricing. And when you're starting out, you'll have, you know, lower prices and you'll still have clients that will say, this photographer is going to give me all of this for, you know, like $500. What are you going to offer me? And it, you know, didn't take me very long to start realizing these aren't the people that I probably want to be working with. And if they found a bargain somewhere else, then they can go for that because I'm offering them something that's not a bargain package like I'm giving them a quality package and so with that being said too I've come up with my pricing that I'm pretty set on and I'll tell people you know this is where I start and that's that but then occasionally I'll have a couple that will come in and they will say we love your work we've been following it on Instagram and Facebook and we need to have you at our wedding but this is our budget and then I start talking and I find out that you know they're getting married in their parents backyard And they're doing lots of DIY things to kind of save money. But I just have this great connection with them. And those are the type of couples where I have a little wiggle room in my packages where I can adjust it as needed. That's smart. Those couples end up being my biggest cheerleaders because they realize that I'm not looking at them as like a number coming in my door. I'm looking at them because I'm excited to work with them as a couple. And so they're telling all their friends about me and they're, sharing photos every day it seems like and always tagging me and they'll text me you know weeks after the wedding and just say I miss talking to you I miss all of our planning oh that's really sweet so 
you know, I, I like that kind of aspect of it. So going with your gut and not just reading an inquiry and saying, okay, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I like to really get to know my clients and trust my gut in that way of like, who do I want to be working with? And the budget and everything comes afterwards. Now, just to play a little devil's advocate, because I'm curious to get your your take on this. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's there are a lot of emotional individuals, emotion-driven individuals in the photography industry, the artist types, and I'm, I'm okay. very much one of those. I know how my emotions can kind of be up and down, and, and if I'm going to make a decision based on my gut, it might be a different thing one day and a different thing, you know, the next. Um, mm-hmm. How do you, trusting your gut, I, I get the principle, but how do you mm-hmm. make sure that you then don't follow that the wrong feeling? So for me, having, I think, my, my structure of how my packages will break down, at least with the, the pricing aspect of it. Yeah. And if I show them like, this is my bottom line, like this is the bottom I can go. And if it's still not a good fit for them, then I'm okay with helping them find another photographer that's going to be a good fit. And I'll use my local group and say, this is the couple, this is their budget, who's available for this price. Sure. Um, and I guess understanding when it's going to be beneficial for me or when it's going to be better for me to just help them find someone else and then even taking on projects and things that if I don't have the time for it and I really like working military homecomings but I know if it's the middle of October and my schedule is crazy I probably don't have the time for it and I'm not going to be able to give them my like all so being able to also say no when I need to say no and assess different things so it's definitely a, a learning curve. You got to figure it out. But I think I'm starting to get there better now with using no and bending when I feel it's okay. That makes sense. Well, and, and really, it, very simply, you have a, and especially when it comes to the pricing, you have a structure within which to, to work, right? So mm-hmm. um, we, we could use the price list as an example. We could even use your, I mean, you talk about having a five and 10 year plan. You know mm-hmm. where you want to be in the future, and mm-hmm. you can use that structure again. I know we keep using this word today, but I think it's important to to keep in mind. You can use that structure, those goals, um, mm-hmm. as a way to kind of I don't know, almost parameters within which then to kind of trust your gut, if you will. So I, I think there's yeah. you, you're exhibiting a wonderful balance of kind of the logical side, um, mm-hmm. and, as well as incorporating your heart in it. And uh, I think that's a wonderful example. So the first, the first recommendation or first lesson that you've learned, certainly that you've been able to share with our listeners, is, is the notion of trusting your gut. And I think this is definitely important. And it is interesting. I've, I've found, um, at least over time, and I'm continuing to learn in this as well, but it seems mm-hmm. like uh, you know, as much as there is to learn in the world uh, mm-hmm. about whether it's relationships or business or otherwise, it's, it's funny how many times just our gut knowledge or our gut understanding of the situation or our gut feeling about what to do um, actually is, is really a great way to go. Sometimes we find out in hindsight, but um, yeah. it's important to it's important to be reminded of it. Uh, and, and then again, of course, just to balance that with a little bit of structure and, and understand what you need, what's good for you, what's good for your business, and ultimately what, what the goals you're reaching towards. So this is a great place to start. Take us to the second one, if you will. So we already kind of touched on the networking aspect of it. Um, but for me, I'm in I'm in Facebook groups. I'm sure a lot of us are, and some of them are huge, and it's overwhelming. But I have two local Facebook groups. One is a Connecticut female photographers, and one is a Connecticut wedding vendors. And it's a smaller group, 
But the thing I like about it is there's actual meetups. So you can meet yes. people in real life. and <laughs> In real life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not just through like Facebook and things sure. like that. And so I actually met one of my best vendor friends. And she's become even like a best friend to me. And her name's Shannon. And she's an event designer. And I had wanted to just meet more people in the field that were outside of photography. And I had posted on our Connecticut wedding vendor group. I'm looking to connect with wedding planners. And so her name got brought up and she sent me an email and I just felt that connection, even just through the email right there. And she was saying, you know, I'm not a planner, but I do the event design and I'd love to meet up. And we sat there and talked forever. And if I didn't have a session that afternoon, I probably would have sat there even longer. And because, um, we just work so well together. We actually have three weddings this year that we've been working together with and one's at the end of the month. And we also have connected with a florist and a DJ and a venue. And when we all have that opportunity to work together, we're always doing like hashtag dream team. And even our couples get in on it and they're cracking up and they're like, I'm so excited to work with the dream team and we have you both together. That's awesome. It's so exciting. So I never would have met Shannon if it hadn't been for that Facebook group. Right. And again, just like, being proactive to reach out to these people. Yes. And I have another planner that I had met and she just recently booked a well, she told the couple that she has to go with me as a photographer. And we have a, a great relationship. It's not the same as with Shannon where you just meet certain people and you connect immediately, but it's still a great business relationship that I have with the other planner too. So being proactive in those Facebook groups, they really can be beneficial as well. Well, and I like the differentiation you made between, you know, as you said, there's so many different Facebook groups out there, some of the, some really big ones too. And those are great for inspiration and getting ideas and, and encouraging mm-hmm. each other and so forth. But the significant difference in the local Facebook groups that then allow mm-hmm. you ultimately to connect with people in person. I mean, at the end of the day, the way that you spend your time should ultimately be geared toward, as far as business is concerned, should be mm-hmm. geared toward the things that are going to actually move your business forward. And it's right. it's great to be able to connect with people virtually around the country. But ultimately, the thing that's going to help grow your business um, is connecting with those in your market, especially developing relationships with those that can ultimately help you drive your business forward. So uh, I, I think this is a really great reminder as well. Network do so mm-hmm. online, use the virtual tools that are there. They're certainly very powerful, but ultimately look for ways to tie that into connecting with those locally and that'll help drive your business forward. So the first one, uh, the first lesson, if you will, is, is to trust your gut and then networking and, and more specifically with those local to your market and then take us to the third one, if you will. So I like to answer questions before my clients have the chance to even ask them. And over time, I've had their emails, clients ask similar questions. And so I'll assess whether this is something I need to fix on my website if someone says they can't find something or if it's just something that needs to be explained. For instance, with the galleries where clients download their final images, I work with them all the time. My clients might have never worked with them before. So I am always adjusting my email, it seems like, but it will say, hey, here's your final gallery. The best place to um, use it is on a computer, so that way you can save a hard copy of all your high-resolution files. You can also use your mobile device for viewing. It will explain which button is for sharing, which button is to order any prints. And for those clients that are still having a difficult time, I've even done the screen capture video of me using the gallery 
so that I could send it to them and say, this is where you click, this is where you do that. Um, So then that way there's not this, you know, five email back and forth of, oh, but how do I order a print? And how do I share it to Facebook? And how do I save it? And what's the difference between the high res and the web size? So just trying to jump ahead. And I feel like that makes the client feel very well taken care of from start to finish because I'm holding their hand and they don't even have to ask for help. I'm already there to assist them. Well, there again, you're, you're being very proactive, but this is really important. I mean, certainly you might think of, of this kind of proactive effort at reaching out to clients and getting feedback as, as something that is uh, more geared toward larger companies. I love the fact that as a sole proprietor, you're reaching out to your clients and asking for their feedback about their experience, even down to something mm-hmm. as simple as using a gallery. A lot of photographers might just say, well, this is the gallery that I use. It's how it works. What's the mm-hmm. purpose in, in asking? But I love that you're very proactive and, and paying attention to your client's experience because that, of course, will ultimately translate to whether or not they refer you. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's part of the overall experience. So, wow, this is really great. Do you just do you ask them these questions as feedback during meetings in person? Do you just send them an email? What, how do you go about doing it? Sometimes I'll do it over email. Um, I have some clients that I've been working with since I first started out. And every time I implement a new gallery or a new website or something, I'll shoot them an email and say, hey, I was just wondering if you have a few minutes. um, Let me know what you think about your new gallery. I know the last time you used it, it was different. And for one example, I have this client, Angie, and she's great. She'll say, I like this, this, and this. I had no clue what this was. <laughs> and so she's my like best person for just honest feedback because yep. sometimes if you're asking your friends or family, they're just like, oh, it looks great. But that's not what I want. I want to hear what doesn't look great. That's really, really cool. Uh, this is a great recommendation. And I think something that we can all um, use as an example and apply in our businesses, myself included, even even working with as large a company as Photographers Edit is, this is mm-hmm. something that we've started to do even more this year, which is to ask for feedback, both in kind of small forums like a Facebook group, but then mm-hmm. also through surveys and, and getting that feedback. And, and even if you're relatively aware, I mean, the, the feedback that I've gotten at times was, was nothing earth shattering, wasn't something mm-hmm. that I didn't already realize, uh, but it's still good to be, to, to give your clients an opportunity to have a voice and to feel significant yeah. and being able to get that feedback. The fact that you're paying attention to them means something. And then ultimately you can take that information and particularly that the applicable information and, and, and make the changes in your business necessary to improve it. So this is, this is a great recommendation. Take us to the fourth one, if you will. So my focus for this year was to really streamline my business using templates and workflows and systems and to finally start outsourcing. And I had gone to the Inspire Photo Retreat. That's where I met you earlier this year. And I had been considering outsourcing because in October of last year, I had, I think it was 11 weddings. Oh, wow. So editing was almost a nightmare. I was waking up at five in the morning. I would work for two hours. My husband would go to work. I'd work on the computer till he got home. We'd cook dinner. I'd go back to my computer and then I'd basically be falling asleep at the keyboard. Oh my goodness. But I had that silly mindset of no one's going to be able to do this as good as I can. And when I realized I have no life anymore, <laughs> like during that time of year, um, I decided to test it out and it was amazing. The, the photos came back. They looked great. They were consistent. There wasn't that you know, struggle you have uh, when you're staring at a computer forever and you're like, is this crooked? Is this blue? Is this yellow? <laughs> yes. And 
um, and you're sending your friends and I'm like, do these two pictures look consistent? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, so that part was nice. And I like that, you know, I still get that chance to go through. I still like to look at each picture individually myself and do any little tiny tweaks if I want to, but it has saved so much time for me and I love photographers edit so much. It's been a lifesaver this year. I thought that my clients were, I don't know. I, I thought that they would feel like sad that like I wasn't doing everything to their photos, but then I realized that most of them didn't even really think about it. And the one person that did ask me this year about editing and I said, well, I send it off to an editing team. They were like, Oh, I think that's great because you know, that must free up so much time for you. And I was like, yeah. Even the yeah, clients yeah, realize it. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. You know, this is interesting that you, you brought it up though, because I, the number of times it seems like even in the last year that that um, I've I've heard this conversation about uh, or the concern that a photographer expresses about their client finding out that mm -hmm. they have that they're that they're not doing their own editing that they're giving it to somebody else to do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm I'm a little bit confused by it honestly because I was a photographer for as I mentioned earlier 10, 11 years. Um, I did my own editing and then ultimately I started Photographer's Edit largely because, I mean, I, I I was so stressed out doing my own editing as much as I had to do and I was a perfectionist and it just drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but I I don't, I cannot think of in the, you know, the hundreds uh, of weddings that I photographed of a client ever, ever asking. And I shot a range mm -hmm. from, you know, my first wedding at $350 to working with clients at $10,000 plus that, mm -hmm. that they ever asked who did my editing. That's just not something that, you know, there are a lot of assumptions that we make, I think, in the process oh, yeah. of, in, in this process of outsourcing editing that, mm -hmm. that we kind of project onto our clients uh, what our feelings are about the situation or our apprehensions or our concerns or even our concern, you know, about what our photographer friends are going to think about the images if they're edited by another company. We kind of project mm -hmm. that onto our clients, assuming that our clients care about that kind of thing. And it's just not the case. So I'm glad right. that you brought this up and, and you, you made mention of it. Uh, you also mentioned, too, the, the, the concern in giving up the images to somebody else and the images not looking exactly like you process them. What would you like? What would you say to a photographer that would express that concern to you now? I would say that the well, when I got my first gallery back, I felt that overall it looked very similar to my style because I had input, you know, I like my images to be a little bit lighter, um, not crazy contrast. Um, they're always a little bit warmer. And there was only a couple images that were exactly how I normally do them. But I like that option where I got to give feedback and say, this is how this was edited. I normally would edit it this way. Yes. And in that sample image, I'm able to take photos that I I like to put in there what I feel like are the extreme ones of, you know, when it was like a dark photo, I like it to look like this. Or when it was a lighter photo, I want it to look like this. Or when the color, um, especially we shoot in a lot of barns, when the picture comes out of camera and it's a little too warm, I still want it warm, but at this level. And realizing that they're looking at those and taking my comments and do like concern for them. Absolutely. That, that made it so much easier. And I was thinking, you know, I'm going to get these back. They're going to look like another photographer took them. And now I look at them and I'm like, I kind of like these better than the way I was doing it. So. <laughs> well, that's really encouraging to hear. I, you know, you mentioned yeah. earlier the, the option or the ability that you have to be able to tweak the images when you get back. The cool thing about the way that Lightroom is structured and our team 
edits in Lightroom um, is that it's it's all virtual work. So you get that Lightroom catalog back, you open it up, you can connect it to your raw images and mm-hmm. further tweak it if you want to. You know, a lot of photographers yeah. like to still have that that bit of control um, mm-hmm. to put a final touch on it or maybe process, cert- process a certain number of images for the blog or Facebook or otherwise and add mm-hmm. a bit of a touch to it. You can do that. You can start where our team left off, getting all of the the busy work done for you and and, yeah. and still take it a step or two further if you want to and you have that flexibility. That's a cool thing. And I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought up the feedback process too. And and you know, just this is more kind of a PSA for, for our photographers edit clients that are listening in. But um, mm-hmm. I'm actually in the process right now of further updating the feedback system and the preferences system. For those of you who don't use Photographer's Edit right now, when you create an account, you can actually share your processing style with us. So you, you upload some before and after images, images straight out of the camera, and then how you would have processed those. You upload your favorite Lightroom preset, color in black and white. Um, what we're getting ready to do is update, uh, add some some drop downs where you can specify brightness and and contrast preferences as well, and uh, and then I think maybe white balance. But we're adding these 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 options in um, to further expand on the preferences. Uh, section so that photographers can can share with us in detail. Underneath that, we, we also have an additional comment section related to cropping and culling and color correction and black and white. Um, how you, if you want to share additional notes about how you approach these various elements of your editing, you can do that. So it's a very very complete profile, and then that's tied into the feedback system. So when you get an order back. Um, in your order history, on your account dashboard page, you can click on the little emoji. If you're happy with the job, <laughs> click on the happy face. Give us the yeah. positive feedback. It's, it's it's so encouraging for our team. I mean, they literally are processing. We, we see this month we'll probably have about three and a half million, uh, maybe yeah. about 3.75 million images that are coming across our desk. It's a lot of work. And so to get that kind of positive feedback, both the editing team as well as our customer service team is always wonderful. But then if, if you're not happy with an order, you can click on that little frowny face emoji and it takes you to the feedback page and you quickly cho- let us know through a series of drop downs and uh, being able to upload a couple of example images, what might have gone wrong with that order. And then you have the option at the bottom to click redo this order. And in that process, what happens is it creates, there's really a full loop of accountability. The photographer is reminded of the importance of sharing very detailed instructions. Our editing team is reminded if, if something has not been paid attention to, there's accountability there for the particular editor that, that did the work on that order. And then it's very easy to request a redo. And, and as a general rule, you get that redone Lightroom catalog back in a business day. So you don't have to do work. Our team is better for it. You're better for it. It's just kind of a win-win situation. And you know when it comes to doing handing your work over to someone else to, to process, you want to know that there's attention is being paid to detail. Attention is being paid to your preferences and your editing style. And that's certainly how we're trying to, to gear our service. And um, so I'm glad that you found that beneficial. I'm glad that you brought that up. And the last thing that I want is for this, this podcast or podcast episode for that matter to become a, a photographer's edit commercial. But um, it's <laughs> nice, I think, for photographers to kind of have that perspective to understand what it's like to to outsource editing, to delegate that elsewhere. And then, of course, ultimately the benefit of having free time. It's so important to keep in mind. So these are really, really great recommendations. And, and this is this is a, a longer podcast episode than, than we normally have, but you've just really filled it with absolutely wonderful information and a range of information. And I can't thank you enough for making time to to do this for us today, Jess. Um, can, you, can you share with our listeners where they can follow you and your work online? It's pretty much Jess Lance photo across the board. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram, and that one is JessLance.photo. But Facebook is the backslash Jess Lance photo, and the website is JessLancePhoto.com. 
That's perfect. So we'll make sure to link to these in the show notes as well, uh, along with the inf- other information that uh, we discussed during the podcast. But thank you again, Jess, for, for joining us today. Thank you. This was great. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Dot com.